0: today on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. We may underdiagnose COPD among African-American participants,
1: where we have artificially
0: decided a lower number is normal.
1: Today, pulmonologist Drs. Barry Make and Robbie Callen joined the podcast to discuss the ATS 2022 conference highlights in this PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Boehringer Engelheim has 100 years of heritage in respiratory diseases. Since 1921, they have emerged as a leader in this disease area, having launched several treatments in a range of respiratory conditions, including asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and lung cancer. Their focus is on improving the quality of life of patients suffering from debilitating respiratory diseases and enabling them to maintain a more independent life. Learn more at boringer Engelheim.com. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not represent the views of Boehringer Engelheim or its affiliates. Hello, I'm Dr. Ravi Kalhan.
0: I'm a professor of medicine in pulmonary and critical care and preventive medicine in epidemiology at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Barry Make, pulmonologist director of the COPD program at National Jewish Health at the University of Colorado in Denver.
0: Today, Dr. Make and I are going to share our thoughts and impressions from the 2022 International Conference of the American Thoracic Society, which was just held this past May in San Francisco. Barry, great to have you here to talk about the the meeting and actually being together in person.
2: Thanks, Ravi. Well, you know, it's the first time we have been in person in a long time. It seems like forever. I mean, Zoom meetings are great, and there's certain advantages of them because you don't have to travel. But being at the ATS meeting was fantastic seeing everybody and meeting with everybody. I think that was the most important thing to me.
0: I agree too. It really it really makes a difference to see friends and colleagues and Feel more engaged in sort of the business of what we do with, with other people as opposed to always looking at a screen and, and thinking about stuff.
2: And it turned, so out Barry, to, you... it turned out to be not a super spreader event. I was very impressed with that. You know, they kept yeah. us informed about the number of people who sort of said they developed COVID during the meeting and didn't seem like it was very many.
0: It might turn out that wearing masks in crowds actually works, Barry.
2: <laughs> so, Barry,
0: did you have any big scientific takeaways in the space of? COPD or other lung diseases this year?
2: Well, there are a couple uh, issues that I thought were interesting and important, uh, but I find that you know the meetings don't usually have uh, breakthroughs because breakthroughs are reported in between meetings. They don't wait for a meeting to occur. Like if there's a major breakthrough, you'll hear it in the New England Journal of Medicine really quickly. But I did find some things I thought were very interesting, um, one of them was uh, biomarkers, uh, and one of the most interesting things about biomarkers, although well, they were thought about blood tests and genetics and proteomics, was CT scans. Uh, so I'm very interested in chronic bronchitis, and the presence of mucoid impactions on CT scans in patients with COPD is an important prognostic issue. It uh, shows that patients that have those have more exacerbations and a worse course, uh, and I thought that was interesting because we tend to neglect some of these min- what we call minor findings on CT scans, but looking for mucone impacts in, in COPD as well as in asthma is really important.
0: Yeah, I agree, Barry. And I think it's, it's of exaggerated importance when we know we have therapies for COPD that prevent exacerbations, but we're not always sure who's at risk for an exacerbation before they have one. I mean, we know that people who have exacerbations are at risk for future ones. But wouldn't it be great if we could start a therapy that intercepts exacerbations before they happen? And it seems like this might be a mechanism where we could do that.
2: Yeah, well, chronic bronchitis in general, you know, is something we don't have a treatment specifically for cough and phlegm. You know, MUC5A and B are found to be important in, in patients who have chronic bronchitis, and maybe there'll be some targeted therapy in the future. So I didn't hear much about targeted therapy for chronic bronchitis, but something I'm waiting for. The
0: area that really struck me, and it's, it's related to CT scans too, Barry, is how there's a disconnect in our diagnostic approaches to COPD by who has emphysema on a CT scan versus who has impaired spirometry, which is the traditional way we've diagnosed COPD, is you have to have an FEV1 over FEC less than 0.7 and an FEV1 that's pretty low. Yet there are a lot of people who have emphysema on CAT scans that have normal lung function. And because of how we've historically interpreted spirometry, we may under-diagnose COPD among... African American participants, where we have artificially decided a lower number is normal, whereas it probably isn't normal. It's reflective of societal disadvantage and exposures in childhood and sort of the social construct of race in the United States, which introduces health inequities. And it really struck me that maybe we need to start thinking differently about how we diagnose COPD. Certainly, maybe we need to rethink how we interpret spirometry. But, in general, we have a we're faced with with our own prevailing approach to disease, perhaps introducing health inequities. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but it's pretty important to me.
2: Yes, uh, there were several sessions on health inequities, uh, particularly there were, as you mentioned, spirometry. You know, spirometry uh, traditionally has had normal values based on race. And the GLI, an international group that's looking at pulmonary function tests and spirometry and diffusing capacity and lung volumes throughout the world, have suggested, you know, maybe we don't need race uh, equations anymore for predicted values because maybe it doesn't work. Uh, and so there were several posters that talked about that. Uh, particularly, we had one that showed that you know a body size is different people who, who with from different people I mean women and men for example and that gives different chest sizes and it gives it different airflows and so I think uh, we may think in the future about not looking at race predicted spirometry values you know the diagnosis of COPD unfortunately I think uh, or somewhat there's certainly a reason for it is based upon the FU one FEC ratio which is uh, different in different ages as well and there is an inequity as well in terms of age as well as race and uh, uh, deprivation uh, when you were growing up and how much nutri- what your nutrition was and your body size so i think we need to rethink as you suggested based on the emph- on emphysema one ct scan what lung disease is in people who are, say, smokers, although you know there's a lot of patients with COPD or non-smokers, we need to think about what the definitions of lung disease are. Certainly, a lot of people have respiratory burdens of symptoms, CT scan abnormalities, but have normal spirometry as we traditionally interpret spirometry. And we need to broaden, uh, in general, what are respiratory burden patients, what they are, what they have, and then how to manage them and treat them and evaluate them.
0: Uh, we, I was lucky enough to participate in a session actually where our friend Brad Drummond gave a really provocative talk, not only about normal spirometry, not reflecting the overall burden of respiratory disease, but also, you know, he works in pretty rural areas at times in, in North Carolina that spirometry just doesn't get done. It can't get done in some places because there's no machine, there's no personnel to do the test, doing the test is hard yet. We're so reliant on spirometry that maybe, in what was a pretty provocative conversation, we should just really think about symptoms and risk factors and how to confront those. And Barry, you're a leader in the COPD gene study, which has put forth that diamond where those two things, symptoms and um, risk factors, kind of rule the day and who's at risk. And maybe we overthink the rest of the testing. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And you don't need better questionnaires to sort of bring that to the fore. So we have the CAT test, for example, which looks at, I think, pretty good health status and respiratory burn, designed for COPD patients. But actually, it's been shown to be helpful in asthma patients as well. And that was a study from the Novelty Group, which is an international group of 11,000 patients in this cohort uh, in multiple countries suggesting that that questionnaire and others can be used across different diseases and maybe in this group of patients who have a disease or burden that we haven't yet defined. So I think we need better questionnaires to assess health status, respiratory symptoms, and be able to use that to define these patient populations.
0: Naturally, like you said, that's that's perhaps incremental because we don't have breakthrough therapies that target respiratory symptoms. But then again, in the United States, the FDA has only registered drugs based on lung function improvement or exacerbation prevention in COPD, at least, not thinking broadly about different definitions of disease. I mean, I think we need to take the field forward in that way. Another thing, Barry, um, that's come up, and it may be largely due to the the COVID-19 pandemic, is the use of remote pulmonary rehabilitation which you know it's in some ways it's a shame that it took the pandemic to do this because as you know the access to pulmonary rehabilitation has been challenging in the best of times now we're in sort of more challenging times about people leaving homes but it's pretty inspiring that we're seeing people test the efficacy of home pulmonary rehab don't you think
2: yes um, so, I was just a chair, co-chair of an NIH workshop on home pulmonary rehabilitation or out of hospital, out of medical center pulmonary rehabilitation, and it was a big topic at the conference as well. Uh, so, how do you do home pulmonary rehabilitation? Is it effective? Who's the right candidates? There are lots of questions, but certainly in the studies that have been done, home pulmonary rehabilitation has important outcomes, and the outcomes are patient symptoms are less, their shortness of breath are less. And if you teach patients uh, and coach them about how to recognize and manage their exacerbations, it improves and reduces exacerbations as well. Um, So there are various ways to do home pulmonary rehabilitation. One thing that also uh, emerged at the conference a lot was the effect of the wearables. I know you're very interested in wearables. That is devices that tell the patient as well as the healthcare provider what the status of the patient is.
0: Yeah, I think that's really compelling stuff. I think one of the key takeaways about wearables is that it's not going to be a single measurement. People have different expressions of distress. So say we wanted to predict flare-ups. We wanted to predict who's having exacerbations. Well, some people may have a heart rate response. Some people, there are these wheeze meter devices that are pretty cool. Some people may have a change in their respiratory physiology that's detectable. Others may have other findings Um But integrating those things in a data-driven way may help us get in front of exacerbations. We were talking about biomarkers earlier. It's one of those things that challenges us with flare-ups is we don't have a way to sort of necessarily objectively measure it beyond symptoms, and maybe wearables will help us. And I think there's some information that came forth. There was one important poster, though, that really showed that you need to integrate multiple streams of information to do it effectively, inhaler usage, heart rate symptoms on a self-reported diary, along with some other things, step count, how active people are, are probably helpful to really think about someone worsening in a subacute way.
2: Yeah, I would add to that cough. You know, you can monitor cough with some of the wearables as well. And of course, oxygen saturation as well. But I think the uh, wearables coupled with the devices now that can tell you when or tell the patient and tell the healthcare provider how much they are or are not using their inhalers. For example, increased short acting beta agonist use is a good predictor of an exa- or diagnosis as well as predictor of an exacerbation. And with uh, new devices that record when patients are taking those short acting beta agonists as well as their maintenance medication, that provides very useful information.
0: And it's really interesting, I've always thought. If I ask the patient how often they're using their short-acting inhaler, it's often different from the objective information. It's really interesting how people's disconnect of their living with their disease becomes living with their disease, whereas things that healthcare providers would think are quite concerning. And I think that's where these data streams and the wearable information is really different, is patients don't always report what we would want them to report.
2: One of the problems with the wearables and the information is there's a lot of information and there's a flood of information to us and to the patient all the time. And so how does that information get to the healthcare provider? I mean, if you think about, you know, all these streams of information from multiple patients, you have somebody sitting 24 hours a day in front of a computer to get all this information and then contact the patients. I mean, there's a problem there too. I don't know how we're going to solve all that information flow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, my nurses would quit immediately if they had to receive all the information. But it's exciting to think about how it could be integrated and maybe artificial intelligence approaches could integrate it into a usable form or a predictive form that would help us in the long run. Well, Barry, are there any other big takeaways? What do you think we're going to do with COPD going forward? Anything that really informs the future for us?
2: Well, I think COPD, you know, we're moving toward... As you suggested in the beginning, more symptom based assessment and monitoring and uh, outcomes. And that's where we, we need to go. And I think the diagnosis in terms of spirometry, I think we can keep the diagnosis of COPD based on spirometry, but we think need to think about all these other patients with respiratory symptoms. Is it pre COPD? Is it early COPD? Is it chronic bronchitis without obstruction? NOCB, Cb, non obstructive chronic bronchitis, Uh, is it prism, preserved ratio with impaired spirometry? There's all these terms we're using for all these other patients, and we need to get those, uh, you know, consolidated somehow and recognized in terms of what they really are. And I think that's the most important thing going forward. So if we don't have a diagnosis for a patient, you know, we can't treat them. We don't know what to do with them. And everybody treats them differently. So we need to consolidate around what these definitions are for these other conditions.
0: Yeah, I agree, Barry. You know, I think sometimes I was talking to my fellows and they're like, oh, now we're just oversimplifying and doing things with symptoms and this and that. And I was like, well... It makes it simpler in some senses, but it also makes it more complicated. And in the respiratory space, we've talked about personalized medicine in the context of genetics and biomarkers and all these other fancy things. But maybe we need to just think about personalized medicine in how an individual is expressing their respiratory burden and then really thinking carefully how we can test therapies that might improve that person's quality of life in a, in a patient centered way. Not that the fancy biomarker stuff isn't cool, and not that individual genomic medicine isn't great, but sometimes it's important to step back and think, well, there's a lot of patients we're not doing anything for because we don't know what to call them.
2: Right. There's two other studies that were not reported at the ATS that I'm looking forward to, I thought might be. One is the results of the CAPTURE study, which is a questionnaire in peak flow to diagnose COPD and some of these other conditions we're talking about that have respiratory burdens. Uh and that publication should be out relatively shortly. And the other is treatment for those patients, and that's the rethink study, which used dual bronchodilators to see if patients in this category of the other respiratory burden patients, you know, might have a therapy that might be helpful for them. I hope that they would be presented the ATS, but they won't, but they'll be coming out soon in publication form.
0: Yeah, it'll absolutely be exciting to see what those show. Well, Barry, I think that sums it up. We had a pretty uh inspiring time at ATS with lots of new information, new approaches. And and I think the future is bright for how we're going to approach chronic lung disease going forward in a in a thoughtful way. It's always great to catch up with you and chat about this stuff.
2: Thanks, Ravi. Good to see you.
1: And that's today's Specialist Spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PB Roundup Podcast. For more stories like these, visit us at pbroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. You can send any tips or suggestions to editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcast, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa flash briefing medical news roundup and just ask, what's my flash briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Drs. Barry Make and Robbie Callen and to Sean Mullen for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we'll cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.